Thank you for listening to this recent message from the Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about the Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. All right, well, gang, we are in a series called Rescue Ready. We've been here the last few weeks, and I'm just telling you, we're going to park here for a while. The series, we're really looking into the purposes of the church, and we're, we're going to just hang out for a while talking about what are the basics as a church. Why are we here? What is our purpose? What is it that we are supposed to be doing, both individually as followers of Christ and corporately as a gathered body of believers known as the church? And uh, here's kind of a summary of the series. If I had to describe it in one sentence, the overarching theme of this series is simply this. It was the main point in week one, and it's this, that we are called to join Jesus Christ in his mission of rescue. And you'll notice on your handouts, if you're following along with me, we'll put it on the screen. We're using rescue as an acronym because it, it's more than just one word. Like rescue has this idea of several things. And, and we're going to go through this every single week because I just want us to soak this in and get it. The R is reaching lost people with the gospel. And we spent the last two weeks hanging out on just that theme of evangelism. And wasn't last week fun just hearing people share their stories of testimonies? I got a lot of feedback about that, of how cool that was. And we're going to do that again someday. That was a lot of fun. So reaching lost people with the gospel, the E is equipping saved people to follow Jesus. We're going we're gonna to park on that one today. The S, sending the church out to serve others. That's ministry. The, the C is caring for one another inside of this body. That's fellowship where we actually have, and then the U goes with it, uniting in authentic relationships where we actually love one another. Like we actually value these relationships within the body of Christ. And then the E, it's worship. It's E, you're like, worship, where did you get that? Exalting Christ above all things. Like in all that we do, Jesus Christ is at the center of all of it. I'm telling you, like that is the purpose, those are the purposes of the New Testament church. You can find any command in Scripture, and they're going to fit within one of those categories of evangelism, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, and worship. Like, that is why we are here. Last week, the last two weeks, we parked on evangelism, and we talked about that. Today, we're going we're gonna to focus on this E. We're going to talk about equipping saved people to follow Jesus. And I'm, I'm titling this sermon, Get Growing, because that's what we're going to focus on today is this, this idea of growth. And if you've got your handouts, I'm just going to give you the main point right off the bat. You can write this down, and then I'm going to back this, this claim up from Scripture, and you'll see this, okay? So here's the deal. Discipleship. What is discipleship? It, there's another word for discipleship. It is to what Jesus? To f- follow. Very good. To, to be a disciple of Christ is to be a follower of Christ, right? So here's the main thought I want to share with you today. Jesus wants to lead me to spiritual maturity. That's simple. Like, like, let me say that in other words. If I'm following Jesus Christ, if I am a disciple of Jesus, he will lead me to grow spiritually. He will not lead me to a place of stagnancy in my life. He will lead me to a place of spiritual growth if I'm following him. That is his will for my life to grow up. Now, unless you think that I'm just kind of dragging this out of thin air, let me share. You'll notice on your notes I've given you a bunch of bullet points of Scripture. I'm just going to go through three of those, the top ones. 
There are so many more I could grab from Scripture. Like, this is not just one random thing taken out of context. This is all throughout the New Testament. God's will for us is to grow up spiritually. Let me just give you an example. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. The Bible says this, like newborn what? Babies. What's the next word? Crave. Like a newborn baby, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may what, church? Grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What is that scripture saying? That scripture, first of all, there's a couple implications. It says this, when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we surrender to him, spiritually speaking, well, we even call it being born again, right? That comes out of John chapter 3 where Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus about the need to be born again. And the Bible says that we're like little babies, spiritually speaking. And it's giving us this command to have an appetite for the word of God, like to have an appetite for the things of God. Healthy children are hungry children, not like malnourished, starving children, but it's a sign of health. When we have an appetite, that's healthy. When we get unhealthy, we lose our appetite. When we're sick, we don't want to eat. Healthy people have an appetite. And this is saying, if you are following Jesus, when you start out in this little spiritual infancy, crave the spiritual milk. Why? Because the expectation is that you'll grow up. Because that milk's going to make you stronger and you'll get to a point where you can eat meat. We'll talk about meat here in just a moment. Let me give you another one. This one's a little lengthy, but I don't apologize for it because it's so good. There's so much good stuff. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, this is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a church in Ephesus. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 11. So Christ himself gave, and he's going to list a whole bunch of leaders here, different functions of leaders in the church. He gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why did he give these leaders to the church? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become what, church? Mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me pause for just a moment. The Apostle Paul did not like using periods. So when you start reading his stuff, you got to go till you get to a period and can catch your breath. Okay? What is he saying here? He is saying that God gave leaders to the church. What is the leader's job? To equip the church for what? Works of service, ministry, depending on what translation you read. Do you realize how that stands in stark contrast to how so many people view the church, especially in the western part of the world, especially in the United States? We have it in our mind that the church is to be led by professionals. We, that's why, Pastor, that's why we pay you. I don't do the work of the ministry. You do. That's why we give you a salary, because I'm a spectator. You're the professional. I come and watch you and a few others perform while I sit and take it all in and observe. That is not the New Testament church. The New Testament, and by the way, I have fallen into this, even in my own thinking. It's, it's easy just to get sucked into that expectation. Well, I guess I'll, I'll do the work of the ministry. No, listen. I don't have all the gifts of the body of Christ. We are a body and we need every gift functioning. Listen, he goes on to say this. Then we will no longer be what? Infants. There's that idea again. We're little babies when we're first born again and we'll no longer be infants. And look what's true of infants. 
tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. What Paul is saying is this, when you're spiritually born again, when you're a brand new Christian, you're in danger of just kind of in your eagerness to grow and learn. There's going to be people and ideas and thoughts that come along that will just toss you back and forth from one wind and wave of doctrine and teaching to another. And you need to grow up spiritually so that you don't fall into that. And so he says this, he goes on to say one more part here. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will what church? We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, look what happens, it grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a part of a church where people understand the expectation is for growth. The expectation is that I have something to offer the body. And it's not just the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. Actually, the work of the ministry is my job. And my pastor's job is to do the equipping, is to teach and equip and disciple so that I can grow up spiritually and I can bring my gifts to the table that Christ has put inside of me. That's really healthy, but notice again the expectation for growth. One more. This is awesome. I love this. It's Hebrews chapter 5. Now, just for teaching context, the author of Hebrews is like anonymous. We don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. A lot of commentators point to the Apostle Paul because there's a lot of similarities in the, the writing of Hebrews to some of Paul's other letters. I'm kind of in that camp. Doesn't really matter, but I can't say Paul said. I'm just going to say the the author of Hebrews, listen to what he says as he addresses a group of Christians. Listen to this. Chapter 5, starting in verse 12. The writer of Hebrews writes this to a group of believers. He says, In fact, though by this time you ought to be what? Notice that. Like if you have your Bible open to that, I don't think I spelled it out on your notes, but you should underline that phrase. By this time, you ought to be teachers. There's a period of time has passed from your spiritual infancy that by this time, there should have been enough growth that you're actually in a position of teaching others. But, he says, that's not happening. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And this is not a compliment. Right, This is some spiritual leader speaking into the lives of some Christians. He's not patting them on the back here. He's kind of giving them a spanking, if you will. You don't need milk. He said, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, notice that phrase, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you get this idea that the expectation is for growth? That over time, through constant use, I can actually get to the point where I don't need somebody giving me the spiritual milk anymore because I've actually learned to train myself to teach myself because I have a hungry appetite for the Word of God and I've moved from, meat on, or from milk onto meat and potatoes. Amen? Yeah. That's the goal. Now, by the way, by the way, if you're a brand new Christian, this is not a scolding. For those of us that are parents, when we were rocking little nine-month-old babies in our arms and feeding them with bottles, we didn't ever say, at least I didn't, and I wasn't the best parent. I never looked at my nine-month-old kid and be like, what a loser. When are you going to grow up and stop drinking from a bottle, right? 
No, like you, you joyfully feed that little guy or that little gal and it's a special time of bonding. Like this, no one looks down on this when it's a nine-month-old. But I promise you, if my 19-year-old wants me to hold him like that and put a bottle in his mouth, we got problems, right? Because by this time, you ought to know how to cook and prepare and eat your own food. And it's no different in the spiritual realm. Growth is expected. This is how this life is supposed to be lived out. We follow Jesus, and he leads us from spiritual babiness up to spiritual maturity. But here's, this is just by way of introduction. Now we're going to get into the sermon. I want to pose the question this morning, why doesn't that happen more often? I want you to think about this with me for a moment. Why is it that we see some people who never follow? Let's start with that. Why do we see some people who hear the word of God year after year and they never accept Christ? I don't know if you've noticed that or ever, if you've witnessed that, or maybe you have someone in your family or whatever, but having spent my life growing up in the church and the last 15 years leading a church, I can tell you I have seen countless people over the years sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word where the Holy Spirit is moving and they remain completely unchanged. Not just one week after another. I'm talking month after month after year. Why is that? What's going on there? Or how about this? Have you ever noticed anybody that like accepted Christ, they got radically on fire for the things of God, they were hungry, they were growing, they got involved, they started serving, and just about as fast as those changes took place, they fizzled out and just disappeared. And you're like, where'd they go? They seem to be so excited. Why is that? How about this? Have you ever noticed anybody that at one point you can look back and go, man, they were involved over a long period of time. They were growing. They were with us. Things were going well. And yet then all of a sudden they just kind of drifted off. Some things came up in their life and they're not here anymore. Why is that? Well, at the same time, there's other people who just seem consistently year after year after year to grow more and more mature in the Lord, and their life produces fruit. How is it that the same gospel message can have four completely different results in people's life? We're going to look at a story today where Jesus tells a parable, and, and he's going to answer that question for us. It's called the parable of the soils. If you're a gardener or a farmer, you're going to like this one because Jesus is using a metaphor from your world. I wish he would have used more metaphors from the fire department, but whatever. There's a few in there that we can stretch. Anyway, this is right up your alley for all of you green thumbs. Okay, Luke chapter 8. We're going to hear Jesus tell the story, the parable. His disciples aren't going to understand it, so then we'll fast forward to the part where Jesus explains it. Imagine hearing Jesus getting ready to preach, and here's the sermon. Ready? It's going to be a short one. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Luke writes this. He says, Well, a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable. Here's the story. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Sermon's over. Let's take an offering. Amen. 
And we're sitting here like, what? What What was that sermon about? The disciples didn't get it either, right? If you're sitting here confused, like, how does this answer any of those questions? You're not alone because the disciples didn't get it at first glance. And thankfully, they asked Jesus, and then he explained it. So we can actually know, too, because I didn't get it either, okay? So Luke chapter 8, let's fast forward down to verse 11. This is Jesus now explaining, here's what the, the the parable means. Verse 11 says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed, let's go back to last week. It's that gospel message that we're supposed to take to the world around us. And and by the way, here's the picture. Back in this day, they didn't have modern farming equipment, John Deere planters with 100-row, you know, planting things that can just lay out nice straight rows. The seed, the the farmer went out and just threw the seed. Imagine he's got like a little pouch slung over his shoulder, and he's just reaching in, and, and he's just throwing seed. And so the seed's going all over the place. Right? That, that's the picture. The seed is the word of God. By the way, just a quick implication there, and it's encouraging for us as God's people, when we throw the seed of the gospel out to the world, when we share it, we're not responsible for the results. Our job is just to share the seed. Just put it out there, let God water it, you know, fertilize it, and it'll grow. He'll bring the fruit where he sees the fruit, where he sees the fertile soil. Our job isn't to determine that or get discouraged if some of our sharing falls on some of these types of soil we're about to learn about. Okay, then Jesus goes on to say this. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Notice who Jesus credits with this. It's the enemy. So that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not, what's the word? Mature. Man, that word is all over in these verses, right? And by the way, underline that phrase, life's worries, riches, and pleasures. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Okay, So the thorns choke these seeds out. But here's the last seed, the last soil. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Okay, this makes a little more sense now, but we're still going to go back and kind of go through this a little slower to digest it. What is Jesus saying? Why is it that when that seed of the word of God gets scattered, some people completely reject it? Some people spring up with just quick spurt of growth and fall away. Other people, after a season of growth, get choked out like their faith just kind of withers on the vine, while others go on to produce fruit year after year after year. What's up with that? I would contend that according to what Jesus is teaching, there are four essential responses to the gospel message, to the word of God, And here they are. And we're just going to say them a little differently. I'm going to have you write these down on your notes. The first one is this. It's a hard heart. The reason that some people reject the message of salvation, any kind of message about Jesus Christ, again and again and again and again, is not because they have an intellectual problem. It's because they have a heart problem. It's because their heart is so hardened 
to the truth of God's word. Jesus uses this this metaphor, basically, when the seed lands on that hard path, it either gets trampled underfoot, or the birds of the air just come in and scoop it up, and before it ever has chance to take root in that hard place, it's gone. I think I put on your notes this scripture reference of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. Remember I said Jesus points to the devil, he points to the enemy. There's an actual enemy of your soul. You can't see him, but it doesn't mean he's not there. And here's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4. He writes this, And even if our gospel is veiled, meaning hidden from their sight, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Implication, if you have a hard heart and you just don't get the things of Jesus, the state of your eternal soul right now in this moment is you are perishing. You are a dead man on furlough, and with each passing day that comes closer to your death, your soul is perishing in your hardened state of heart. And then look who Paul points to. The God of this age, small g God. This is a reference to Satan, the devil. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When I have a hard heart, it's a spiritual condition that the enemy has pulled the wool over my eyes and I can't see Jesus for who he is. And it doesn't matter how many sermons I sit under, it doesn't matter how many times the lifeline of the gospel is thrown right in front of my face, my hard heart keeps me from seeing Christ accurately and seeing my need for him. Now, I'll tell you what, I don't don't know if you caught this last week as we were sharing our testimonies, but did you notice a theme in some of them that it's not always this way for everybody, but a lot of times in order for somebody to really come to that moment of surrender in their life, have you noticed that a lot of times it comes at rock bottom? Why is that? Let's go to this parable of Jesus. In order to get that that hard soil to be fertile to receive the ground, what has to happen? Like, if there's any hope at all, we got to bust that dirt up, right? And that's painful. And I think sometimes God shouts to us in the midst of our pain. And I've seen, this is interesting, because again, I've seen it go both ways. I've seen people endure horrific trials, and it was through that pain that God finally got their attention, and He broke up their hard heart to where it was finally ready to receive the message of the gospel. And yet I've seen people with a hard heart experience that kind of trial and tragedy and their heart just gets harder. See, and I can't control the condition of your heart. I have zero control over that. But I wonder if I'm speaking to anyone here today with a hard heart that honestly, if you were to to be truthful with yourself, you'd say, this is me. I have a hard heart and I don't care. I don't care about the things of God. I've sat under a million sermons. Doesn't phase me, doesn't affect me. Just this morning, I worked yesterday at the fire station, so I woke up there this morning and just sitting around having a cup of coffee with a guy who just recently accepted Christ as his Savior. Such an amazing thing that God is doing in his life. He flat out told me, he said, there wasn't a church in the world that was going to reach me where I was just a few months ago. And I said, what about church now? Like, do you, he's like, I love church now. I'm being fed and I get it. I understand stuff I didn't understand, but it's a hard heart. His heart was hard. His, his eyes were blind. And God used some painful circumstances in his life to finally break up that hard heart to where he was ready to receive. Well, what about the next condition of a heart, uh, oh, the condition of the soil of our heart? Let's, let's label it this. It's the shallow heart. Shallow. 
This is that group of Christians, and you've seen them before. I've seen them before. They get saved. They get all immediately excited about the things of God. Over the years, I've come to get nervous when someone gets that excited. I shouldn't because we should celebrate new life in Christ. It's amazing. Like You can see clearly now. You're starting to sense God's presence and working. So I want to share in that enthusiasm with new believers, but I'm telling you, more times than not, I've watched new believers get so excited about the things of God, and within just a short matter of months, they're gone. They're back to their old life. Their passion for the things of Christ went from here to here. What's up with that? Jesus would say, it's a shallow heart. The soil is this deep. There's some good topsoil that'll take the seed initially, but it hits the rocks real quick. When the time of testing comes, Jesus said, when things get hard. I often warn people who just accept Christ as their Savior or take some major step of faith. I just warn them, like, you're about to have the worst week of your life coming up. You're about to have the worst month of your life. Your washer's going to quit working. Your dog's going to run away. The truck's going to break down. Like, the enemy is coming at you with everything he's got. So just be aware of it, right? I've got people like that. They, and, and you know what? It's like they'll, they'll resurface every once in a while. I've seen it. And, and I've come to just realize, like, I call them, I don't say this to their face, but just be, they're like, oh, all oh, excited about the things of God. And I'm like, yeah, you won't be back in three weeks. You're, you're flakeopotamus. I have a name for that. It's behind my, in my mind, I just call them a flakeopotamus. You're just flaky. The shallow. You get temporarily, impulsively excited, but there's no depth. You have a shallow heart. And you're falling away. By the way, on your notes, we're not going to look at this, but I gave you a a story that Jesus told. Actually, it's just a passage in Luke chapter 14 where he gives several stories. The point he's making is this. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you want to be one of my disciples, you need to count the cost. Because he goes on to say, "If, if you don't count the cost of being my disciple... It's like a person who goes to build a house, but they don't you know, calculate it correctly, and then they can't finish it, and it's an embarrassment. Or it's like a king who goes off to war, and he doesn't adequately sit down and plan. Does he have the troops and the firepower necessary to win the battle? And then he has to call a truce in the middle of it, and it's embarrassing. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you better count the cost. Can I give you the price tag real quick? The price tag of following Jesus is everything. And see, we've, many Christians have bought into this easy believism, just pray a magic prayer, and I get to go to heaven, and yet, yet there's nothing that's going to require of me here in this life. And that's not what Jesus taught at all. Jesus taught this, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to cost everything. I'm in charge, I'm the king, and you're not. It is a daily surrender of your will to mine. Your will to my authority. I'm in charge. I own you. I bought you with my blood that was poured out on the cross at Calvary. You belong to me. And by the way, if that sounds negative, that just shows that you don't fully have an accurate view of who Christ is. Because when we see Christ for who he really is, the thought of belonging to him and being owned by him is an amazing thought. But see, a shallow heart hasn't counted the cost of discipleship and jumps on momentarily and soon falls away. The third type of soil that Jesus mentions here, we'll call it a distracted heart. He uses the metaphor of, okay, some of the seed falls in among the thorns and there's good soil there and it starts to grow. But as it's beginning to grow, not, it doesn't take long for those thorns to choke out the good seed. Have you ever noticed that 
weeds just are hardy. Like weeds just grow anywhere. And it's like the, the more precious the fruit, the more finicky the plant. Have you ever noticed that? And it takes all kinds of work and care to get something of value to grow. But if it's just a crappy weed, you give it this much in a sidewalk and you'll have a tree in about three years, right? It's like, why is that? Because Jesus labeled it in our spiritual life. What did he say? I told you to underline the phrase. It's those that are choked out by the worries, riches, and pleasures. Here's what I want you to see, church. Of those three things that Jesus listed that can choke out our faith, only one of them is a bad thing. The worry is the one, if, if I need to tell you. Like, worry is a sin, according to the Bible. Worry is so counterproductive. But sometimes people get all worried and, and full of anxiety and fear. And Jesus would say, the, the, the minute you start to worry and fear, you have taken something off of God's shoulders and said, Jesus, let me carry this weight for a while. Let me have it, and then I'll just worry about it. And Jesus it would rather us give him, cast our cares upon him, Right? But notice this, it's not just the worries that have the ability to choke out our faith. He says it's the riches and the pleasures. And this is not a preaching against riches or pleasures. Those things in and of themselves are not wrong. We know that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy that God gives us everything, richly has given us everything for our enjoyment. God's not mad about riches or wealth. God's not mad about pleasure. And I'm just going to confess right now, my name's John and I like pleasure. I, I don't like misery. I like pleasure. I don't like poverty. I like to be comfortable financially. And those things in and of themselves are not wrong, but check it out. We need to understand they have the potential to choke out the fruit that is growing in our life spiritually. Let's just make this very practical. Let's talk about the worries for just a moment. I cannot tell you how many times in my life leading in ministry, I've had people say things like this. People who at one time were connected, they were plugged in, things were going great, and then they disconnect. And when you drill down into it a little bit, they'll say things like this. Oh, John, it's just been so hard lately. We've got this family member sick, and this family member just passed away, and we had this financial thing in our career. And what is it? It's worry. It's real trial. It's real tragedy. And it's piling up on them, and they disconnect from the body of Christ. And in those times, I just want to shake them and say, you need the church now more than ever before. This is not the time to disconnect. This is the time to lean in to your family. But what's happening? The worries of this life are choking out the spiritual growth that God is wanting to do inside of them. Riches and pleasures. And I'm about to step on some toes and you can be mad at me if you want. I have watched people that at one time were plugged in and serving and involved begin to drift away. And if you go, what happened? You can pinpoint, oh, they got a new boat and then church became irrelevant. God is not mad about your boat or your camper. I've owned a camper. I love camping. I love all of God's creation. I love boats. But you get a toy that takes you away from the house of God and from his people for months on end, I'm telling you, that is a thorn that is choking out God's work in your life. Be mad at me if you want for saying it. I think Jesus is talking about these things, the pleasures, the riches, the worries that just choke out the life that he's trying to bring out, the growth that he's bringing out in us. There's one more. Oh, by the way, I think I have a scripture in here that I wanted to share at this point distracted right we mentioned that one right the distracted heart luke 9 62 jesus said this and this is where i got so excited in the flandre campus when we were singing i have decided to follow jesus no turning back 
No turning back. Jesus said this, another, another place where he's telling people, count the cost of being my disciple. He says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And if you study the context of that story, Jesus is telling some people, hey, come and follow me, and they're offering up excuses. I will, Jesus, but first let me go bury my father. And again, people are like, well, Jesus, aren't you going to give this guy a break to go bury his dad? His dad isn't dead yet. He's basically saying when dad's out of the way and the business isn't, you know, the pressure isn't there to take over the family business. Once I get to another place in life, then I'll follow you, Jesus. And there's two other stories, I don't remember them off the top of my head, but where Jesus is being given excuses as to why people aren't ready to go all in at this point. And it's in that context that Jesus says, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the ser- for service in the kingdom of God. You get what he's saying? Don't get distracted. There's going to be a lot that calls and pulls for your attention when you make a decision to follow me. Don't let it choke out your faith. Don't let it choke out the growth that I'm trying to bring about in your life. No turning back. No turning back. That's why I got all excited and jumped the gun and went to preach earlier than I was supposed to earlier this morning. One more condition of the heart. It's the fertile heart. And notice Jesus said, I want to go back up to it here in my notes. You don't have to put it on the screen. It's on your handouts in front of you. It's the part where Jesus says, the the good soil is those hearts who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Do you understand like the, the personal responsibility that's here? It's those who hear the word of God. They're putting themselves in a place where God's word is, is being ingested into their life. Case in point, if, if your Sunday church attendance is the, the, the maximum amount of God's word you get in your life, it's not enough. Even if you're here 52 weekends out of the year, that's not enough. You need to put yourself in a place where God's word is constantly speaking into your life. Daily, you're feeding yourself through the word of God. He says it's those who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. We don't turn back, we keep going, and we retain. If if you can much more readily recall your lineup for your fantasy football team or some stats of some guys playing a sport that at the end of the day does not even matter and you can quote that stuff to the sun and back and yet you can't readily go to God's word and, and speak truth into your life or into the life of others through God's word, you're retaining the wrong stuff. You're feeding yourself with the wrong diet. And again, I'm not mad at your fantasy football or those other things, but when we have a bigger appetite for that than for the Word of God, it's an indicator of a heart that's not fertile, where the seed isn't going to take root and grow. So having said all of that, I just want to ask you the question today, what is the condition of your heart? Notice we have this expectation of growth. For followers of Jesus, He's going to bring us to a place of growth. My question is, What is the condition of your heart? Think about this. I kind of made this connection this morning as I was praying through my message, and I realized out of those four types of soil, only one of them is good. And I'm not not real good with numbers, but I think I got this one figured out. That means 75% of Jesus' audience. If we're using that in this room here, 75% of the hearts in this room are bad soil. 
Now, I'm not saying that that's absolutely the case here today, but Jesus said this in another place. Jesus said, wide is the path, wide is the gate, and wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many are on it. And he says, but narrow is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, and very few find it. And I find it interesting, then he tells a parable, and out of all the soils, only one of the four is actually fertile soil. And by the way, here's another implication. This just blew me away this morning when I thought about this. Whether you have a hard heart, a distracted heart, or a shallow heart, the end result is still the same. Whoa. You might say, well, I'm not that bad because at least I know Christ. I'm a shallow, flaky Christian, but at least I know Christ. Your life is producing just as much fruit as the one with the hard heart who hates Jesus. Think about that one for just a moment. The end result is still the same. It is a fruitless immature life that's not growing none of those are good soils what is the condition of your heart before the lord this morning and check this out this is really important to say too the takeaway from this is not shame on you if your heart is not the right soil and it certainly isn't a message that says change your heart you know why because you can't change your heart if you could you already would have The message is to get on your knees before God and repent and ask Jesus Christ to change your heart because he alone has the power to soften your hard heart. He alone has the power to give depth to those shallow areas of your life that you are so unfaithful and unreliable because you're up today and wilted and fading away tomorrow. Only Jesus has the ability to to transform that distracted heart that's so tempted to veer off course with the worries, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. The message is get on your knees and ask Jesus to change the condition of your heart. I don't know about you guys, but when I stand before the Lord, I want to have a lifetime of fertile soil where the Word of God planted in my heart had fertile room to grow and bear fruit a hundred times more than what was initially planted. Like that sounds like the life I want to stand before Christ within eternity. What is the condition of your heart before the Lord this morning? And what area do you need to repent and ask God, Lord Jesus, change my heart today? Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this time that you've given to us as a church family to hear the words of Jesus and to hear this clear call to spiritual maturity. I believe, Lord, if if your numbers are right, like the way you tell that story, there probably are four different types of heart conditions represented in this room and this online audience right now. There are people with a hard heart. Jesus, today I pray you would do whatever needs to be done to break up that hard heart where the seed of your word can take root and grow. Whatever the cost may be, God, for their own eternal well-being, I pray that you would save them from themselves. We just come against the lies of the evil one who blinds the eyes of humans that you love. And we speak truth into their life. And Lord, I pray you'd break up that hard heart. God, it's very likely that there are shallow hearts represented here today. People that get all excited one week and then by Tuesday they've kind of fallen off the wagon again and just not real excited about the things of God. Pray you'd forgive us for our shallowness and bring depth to our hearts. Lord, I know today I'm speaking to people who are distracted. There's people that aren't here today because the worries of this life are just choking out the fruit that you want to bring about in their life. God, help them see how desperately they need your family right now. 
Bring them back, I pray. Lord, forgive us for the times that we just are so drawn off course by the shiny objects that this world has to offer to the neglect of the growth that you want to do in us. Lord, I thank you for the men and women, the teenagers in this church, that not because of any of our own doing, but because of your work in us, Jesus, there's fertile hearts where the word of God is implanted and it grows deep and there's fruit that is produced. Not just for a week, not just for a month, but year after year, there is a harvest that comes from that. God, would you do more of that in our hearts? Might we be a people who are truly being equipped to follow you and to grow up spiritually? Might this be a place where we're always serving up the milk to the babies, but where we're also serving meat to the meat eaters who are growing? God, I pray that you would help this to be a maturing church body. Jesus, you get all the praise and the honor and the glory for how you use this message in our hearts. But make no mistake, Jesus, we need you to move in and through us today. We commit ourselves to you. We commit this message to you. It's in your precious name we pray these things, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv. 